Welcome to the latest episode of the Streamline Podcast, coming to you live from this amazing studio here in Nashville, Tennessee. And when I say amazing, I'm not even kidding. We're going to get some photos up of this later. But uh, we, are, we do have a few people in the studio. Most importantly, my guest today is Sherry Hu, a music tech journalist. She's known for writing for Forbes, Billboard, her music and water newsletter, as well as podcasts. Sherry, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, honored. I just realized I, I messed up the name, didn't I? It was it Water. Is very close. And water music. and music. Yes. <laughs> I, I just want to be clear. No I problem. did do my research no before this. I am <laughs> a, a, an active subscriber of the newsletter and the podcast, and it is early in the morning here in Nashville. So, water and music. Yes, yes. Cool. And of course, this is unscripted, if you couldn't tell. So, there, <laughs> there we go. Sherry, thank you so much for joining me. I know that we've been friends now for a few years and I mm -hmm. had the pleasure of being on your podcast recently and I was equally as excited to be able to get you here today and have a chat and quite fitting that last time we were in Austin, Texas and now here we are in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee in a big beautiful home. Thank you Brent Barkas who is actually sitting over there recording us right now. We also have Jason Joven from Chartmetric in the room kicking around here. So we, we, got, a, we got a nice cosy little, little crew in here today. Mm -hmm. But I really wanted to get to know a little more about your story. I mean, a lot of people are familiar with Sherry Hu, the amazing music tech journalist, mm, mm -hmm. your newsletter, your podcast, and, and your various uh, writing pieces for, you know, as we mentioned, Forbes and Billboard. But where did you get your start and how did you get into this? Yeah, I did not expect to be where I am now even, yeah, even like four or five years ago, I would say. So... So going all the way back, I I guess my my primary experience with music was as a performer. So I'm classically trained in piano. I was really serious with that, especially in middle and high school. And during high school, I was in the Juilliard School pre-college program for piano. Um, so my lifestyle was very much just go to my local high school, come back, practice for like three hours a day of piano, and then do homework. And like it was kind of like rinse and repeat. But I really enjoyed that experience. And I loved performing. And I was really close to just going to conservatory um, and studying piano and classical music full time um, okay. in undergrad. Yeah. And but also uh, in high school, in, I guess in the normal like school environment, I was a huge math nerd growing up. Like math was my favorite class. I was on math counts, uh, the math counts team in middle school, which is like kind of like a math competition. Mm -hmm. And I was also on math team. There were two years when I was part of the team that made it like the New York State competition. So that was also a big part of just like extracurricular and also just academic activity. And so I was really interested in the intersection of those two worlds from a very early age. I guess initially I was thinking mostly about like how you would apply math to more creative aspects of music, like music theory. I feel like there's mm. so much, um, there's so much interesting research being done there about, uh, I guess the, the biggest example being like a Bach chorale or like a Bach like suite. Just there are a lot of really interesting rules that like, you know, Bach uses to inform all of his pieces. So that could definitely be expressed mathematically, I think. So I was, I was like thinking about all that in undergrad, but it wasn't until 2015, uh, like winter 2015, that I really learned about the music industry generally, which is in hindsight is really interesting to think about because I had like been playing piano for for like a really long time. Yeah, like uh, I was taking lessons from age five to age 18, essentially. But in that entire time, I like really did not get any exposure to all the roles available in the music industry and like what even it was like to work in music. And um, that's also the thing about classical, like more than any other genre, it kind of teaches you that your technique alone is all you need to succeed. Okay. So that was yep. very much like, you know, ingrained in that. But uh, during winter break 2015, I got to shadow the A&R team at Interscope Records. And it was through a program that I did through my college, uh, Harvard College, they have like an entertainment boot camp every winter break. And that just yeah completely opened my eyes to just everything that happened behind the scenes at a label or as part of that program, I and around 20 other students also got to tour all the major talent agencies, all the major film studios. And so that was just like a really like rapid fire first exposure to wow. the mainstream entertainment world. Yeah. And yeah, and I think that was also when it first clicked for me that I could also apply math and stats, which was my major. I had just declared at the time to things happening behind the scenes in the music industry. Because like there's tons of data being generated. Um, as you know, 
really well from you know uh, the rise of streaming and just there's so many more tools available at both artists and labels disposals just figure out you know how their music is being consumed where their fans are how they engage etc and so after that the summer of 2015 i did a research project at harvard business school they have like an undergraduate research program and it's one of those where I actually didn't get to choose the project. It's They have like 15 projects determined ahead of time. And when you apply, you choose your preferences. But that year, there was one about music. Mm. And it wasn't even like led by entertainment-focused uh, professors. It, w- it was led by this one professor, Kareem Lakani, who in the years before had done this really interesting project on crowdfunding science research with NASA, like NASA would like open, (laughs) yeah, which is like really interesting, like opening up the gathering of like more astronomy related data, like from anyone who had a telescope, anyone who just like, you know, was an enthusiast about this topic. And so like, that's how he was approaching setting the music industry as someone with that background. And I think in hindsight, that also really informed how I'm thinking about like where the industry is going now. But I did, so I did a lot of research under his wing. Um, I helped write a case study on Bandpage, um, Mm. which was kind of like an artist website, artist merch management tool that was acquired by YouTube and then shut down subsequently a few years later. Yeah, I I, like did some research for a case study on that. That was also the first summer I got to meet and interview a lot of people who would go on to be like really influential in the music and tech space. So that was the first time I met Benji Rogers, um, Mm. interviewed him. That was the first time. I learned about Patreon and talked some talk with some people at the team there. And so it was a really good it was a really interesting mix of like macro financial trends and like financial analysis and just like talking with music tech founders who are focused on serving the DIY artist, mm. not necessarily the major label artist. So it's like a really, really good and really instructive mix. And so that project concluded, summer concluded. Uh, I had a ton of ideas in my head at that point of where the music and tech and startup space was going to go. And I knew that that was my passion, but I just didn't know how to manifest it. I was like, I'll try anything as my junior year. So yeah, I'm thinking about like what I was going through at the time. So being a stats major, I was pulled in, kind of roped in with all the other stats majors to like the finance and consulting career fairs, which are like the loudest things on campus ever, uh, especially junior and senior Mm. year. And I like very quickly realized that that space was not for me. Like I didn't really, I wasn't really drawn to the process of even like applying and doing interviews for those jobs. It seemed very like homogenizing to me. Mm -hmm. And so I I like determined after a couple months, not going to any more career fairs. I'm just gonna focus on classes, just enjoy my time on campus. And then one day I have a friend text me saying, hey, Sherry, this is like other career fair for media and advertising that seems a lot more chill. Like it seems a lot more up your alley. Um, it's much more creatively oriented. People seem a lot more open. You should totally go. And th- there were only 30 minutes left in the fair. But I was like, sure, I'll like, I'll check it out. <laughs> if if like th- this friend, it was like a really good friend of mine. I was like, yeah, like trust your opinion. I'll like go see what happens. So I'm kind of like, yeah, like rushing around the fair so like the all the major metro papers like New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post were there, um, HBO was there, and Forbes was there. And I walked past the Forbes table, and the only reason I stopped is because there's an issue with Katy Perry on the cover. It was like their Celebrity 100 issue okay. that year, where they like rank the wealthiest celebrities or like highest earning celebrities yep. um, in a given year. So I see that, and I'm like. I know Katy Perry somewhat. I'll like talk about Katy Perry with this person at the table and like see where it goes. And the person who happened to be there is my current editor or like main contact who's the senior editor of entertainment at Forbes. His name is Zach Greenberg. Okay. And he and I like immediately hit it off. Like we had really interesting conversations about just like where the music industry was going. And I was telling him about like this project I'd done at HBS and my interest in music and tech and he immediately said, we need more people to write about streaming for us now. Like, we don't have anyone focused on streaming or on, like, music and tech specifically. Like, there are people who are still right for Forbes today who, like, focus on the charts or who focus on, like, album reviews or artist interviews, but not on, like, the business side as it relates to tech and, like, streaming companies. Yeah, and he was like, oh, if you have any free time, you should, like, totally consider some examples and contributing, if you'd like. And I was so surprised. And I, I did say yes in the moment, but I was also very stunned because, like, to be honest, I knew nothing about freelancing at all. I knew mm-hmm. nothing about like the Forbes contributor model. I was like very uninformed in that sense. Yeah, like to be honest, had not really 
gone to Forbes to even like read that much about music at all up until that point. I think it's changed. I think they've definitely like improved their contributor base significantly. But well, you're one of them, right? I am. So you I contributed not, to improving. I am not one of them. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, and like I, I so I also didn't even expect to like get the position because the writing samples that um, I sent. I don't know if I ever told you this, but it was an arts column I'd written for like a school paper that was music related, but not business related. It was like interviews with artists or like, uh, I guess, yeah, like writing about events that were happening on campus. So it was that. And then it was a blog. I just started on WordPress for free. That was like really messy. It was just like bullet points in every post, just, I guess, jamming out my thoughts about the latest music industry news. Or um, I had gone to this one event at Berkeley in Boston that was about music and innovation. So I just wrote a very quick recap of that, but that was it. And I was like, this is all I have. Hopefully it'll work. Uh, I don't know how you'll react to it, but yeah, I'm really, really grateful that I even got to like meet him and that like, let alone that he was so open to just like, I guess my way of thinking. And so I, I emailed it to him and he was like, this looks great. You should totally like start writing for us. Like whenever you're free. Wow. Yeah. And so I, I just I really enjoyed thinking about that story just because so many things had to come together for that to happen. I almost didn't go to the fair I was like losing esteem at that point, right? Around like career fairs. And I'm like, yeah, very grateful for my friend for just encouraging me to go. And in hindsight, I had prepared for that moment without really knowing it, right? In terms of like doing all this research and yeah. and starting to write about the space. And yeah, so that, that's how I got started writing. And I also was like, I'll try this out for a couple of months and I'll see, you know, where it goes. I don't know if this will be a full-time thing, but I also very quickly realized that it was like a sweet spot of what I was interested in in terms of like being interested in music and tech and like an actual gap in the market. And that I was like, in, in writing my own pieces, I was trying to find other pieces that had been written that were taking a similarly, I guess, trend-oriented look at where the music industry was going, both historically, like looking back historically and also kind of like future-gazing. Um, and there really weren't any like publications or blogs, even writers that were focusing on this. And even even today, in terms of people focusing on music and tech, no more than 10 people I know of, or I can think of off the top of my head in terms of like people who are really writing about this space. So it's mm. just, it's still, I think, such an open opportunity for anyone interested in, in diving in. So I, I noticed that it was just, yeah, that um, combination of, I was super interested in it and like there actually is a demand for it. And like every time I'll publish an article, I yeah, I just realized that there are more and more people who like wanted more discussion about these topics that just wasn't happening, mm. and that definitely is changing now that companies like Spotify ha like are now public, and there's a lot more competition in the streaming world, and more and more publications are kind of covering the space, which is really good. But that that's what I guess encouraged me to keep going, and now to be a full time freelance writer. And I've yeah, so I've been full time freelance since August 2017, which is when I was like started living in New York mm -hmm. full time. And uh, yeah, that's how I'm here. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story. Hopefully it wasn't too ram It's like definitely a very non-linear path. It's, yeah. it's great because I, I, you know, as mentioned, I've only known you within the last two years. So I didn't right. know the, the, yeah. the, the music background before that as well. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. you would have had to have had a, a love for music to want to get into the tech side as well and start writing about it. And as you mentioned, you wrote about artists as well at one, at one point there. One thing that I do want to mention is that you're actually my number one go-to source for music tech news. You is know, it really? Yeah. And, Am I really? Oh, and, wow. And people yeah. go, you know, because people go to me, how do you know about this stuff? How do you keep up? And I go, to be honest, I follow Sherry. And they, and wow. they go, really? I go, yeah, because the reason is a lot of this news just comes direct from the companies. They only feed so much into yes. you. Mm -hmm. Whereas you will do some research, look into it a little further, compare it to other things that have come out. And a lot of people really value your opinion as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's an opinion in there too. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's great because I look at it and I go, when I read your writing, it's the equivalent of reading 20 different blogs and all the best pieces are put in. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, I just walk away and I go, I'm good now. I, 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 <laughs> I have an understanding of this, you know, thanks to you. Thank you. And, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. And it's also just really interesting because I don't, see myself as a news writer mm. and like that's actually like a I guess it was like a steep learning curve that I kind of had to go through like jumping into the journalism world 
which is very much driven by, at its worst, like content farming, right? Like you got to publish as many articles as possible mm. to generate, to maximize ad revenue. And as we've seen just in, 20, in the first couple of months of 2019 alone, a ton of companies are just not able to um, survive on that model. Like not even the buzz feeds of the world, which are very much seen as, you know, role models for that. They've had to lay off tons of staff at the beginning of the year. So yeah, and like my style of writing, I actually like recently... Just I was in a kind of like reflective mood and I was looking back at the very first article I wrote for Forbes and I kind of cringed a little bit because it is really academic. Like that that's how I first started my writing because that, uh, aside from like this arts column and this blog, like that was most of my experience with writing was like writing papers. Yeah. And that was kind of how I approached it. Um, and now it's a bit more like casual and more like reader friendly. But uh, yeah, like my style of writing, I like really like to just soak in ideas and like do a lot of really deep research I try to interview like a minimum of three four people per article so that already like takes a lot of time as well yeah so it's interesting I'm like still I I guess you could call it attention but I don't really feel like held back by it but there definitely is a contrast between like how the media industry works and how I prefer to write which is very much um like a good week and a high volume week for me is like two articles per week like that's like wow it's like a ton of writing I like yeah, because I, I would I would prefer to have at least a couple of days to yeah just think through ideas and do research. Yeah, definitely, and it's really cool the way you've set yourself up. You know, you mentioned that you're freelance. Yes. So you're you're in control of what you do, what you don't do, what you take on, and you're in a position now. I mean, we won't talk numbers, but where with your Patreon, you're mm. generating a significant amount of revenue that's able to fund this, so that you can keep creating. Mm. It's it's amazing to see, and I, I love hearing stories like that where somebody is creating because that's obviously. Patreon being a platform for creators and people being able to support you for the podcast and the newsletter and say, we want more of this. Um, it's fantastic. And to see how quickly that happened as well, mm. you, you know, mm-hmm. what well, you just, I remember you announced, I have a Patreon now. If anyone feels like supporting, that'd be great. And here's what I'd be happy to give you in return for your support. And then I remember a week later you posting about it and I just went, wow, you yeah. got a lot of love out there. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it also like surprised me in terms of how, um, how quickly it grew. And like on Patreon, you can, uh, I guess list different goals. Like, Mm. Oh, when I raised $300 a month. So for this podcast that I now have my first, like the lowest goal that I had was when I get to $300 a month, I'm going to start this podcast. And like now I can have the funds to pay for like equipment and everything. And I was, I had like a timeline in my head of like when that was going to happen Unfortunately, like the, it's it, the Patreon page is doing well enough that it just like shrunk that timeline by a lot. So I had to kind of like re recalibrate everything, like you know, set aside time to actually work on the podcast earlier and and so on. But yeah, and and just to talk to the benefit of having something like Patreon as a freelance writer. Mm. I had this realization, like covering the music industry and then reflecting on my own career and like the the, the world of freelance writing because artists, so musicians are not, like some of them they can be characterized as freelance but they're just like general, you know, independent creators, right? And there's a lot of conversation in the music industry about artists marketing direct to fan, right? And direct to consumer and Mm -hmm. raising money directly from them as opposed to going through a label and having to wait a long time to get paid for you know, record sales for instance. There's very little conversation about that in media, yeah. So like freelance writing, the dominant model is essentially a commission model. Like you get paid by publications, mm-hmm. you get paid a flat fee, or you get paid, you know, per word, depending on what you prefer. And unless you like go directly out of your way to set up something like a Patreon page, there's no way for readers to support you financially, which is kind of, yeah, I, I just like had that realization. I was like, why is this not more, um, why is this not more of a thing? And I think there's, there is more conversation about that now, given like the ongoing layoffs happening in media. Um, mm-hmm. These writers are not choosing to go freelance; they're kind of thrown into it, like you know, not out of their own, like, out of their own volition. They're not trying to think of, you know, how can I like hedge against like how vol- how volatile this industry is now, and like actually have a community that I can speak directly to, and also raise money directly from and earn income from. So, yeah, I, I see. I think the freelance writing industry is like actually trailing behind music and other creative industries in that sense. Yeah. (laughs) 
As we mentioned earlier, Sherry, we're here during the Music Biz Conference uh, mm-hmm. once again in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. I cannot say that enough. <laughs> during this conference, I mean, I'll be honest, this time I'm actually just attending and I've been really enjoying that. Had some great interactions and the best meetings happen between meetings, I find. But I know that you've been involved. You were on a panel earlier this week as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, and actually, so as of recording this, I have a panel later this afternoon that I don't know how it'll go, but I'll, I'll mention I'll mention both. So I'm, I'm, on, I'm moderating two panels this week, but the one I have already done, which I can talk to in terms of like the content, was yes. the second, yeah, the second edition of the Next Gen Now panel, which was started last year. And I guess the idea came from Nick Maiale, who's one of the like main programmers and organizers for the Music Business Association of the conference. And last year, as well as this year, it's all musicians and also just young people who have entered into really high up leadership roles who all are around 30 or younger. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the questions that we dive into revolve around just how how they, I guess one, how they got to where they are today, kind of like very similar to just like the first question that, that you asked for this episode, um, but also advice they would have for people just entering the music industry and how key functions of the music industry are changing and like what both like the type of attitude you should have and the type of tactical and and more tangible skills you should have as well. So for instance, on this panel, we had Derek Arrow, who is VP of A&R at RCA Records, Mm -hmm. I believe. And he he was responsible for signing Brockhampton, um, Childish Gambino, or he was on the the main team that that signed them, um, Goldlink as well. And so I asked him some questions just about like, what does A&R even mean? Like if you ask a group of 10 people what A&R means, they probably all have different definitions. And like Mm -hmm. Derek has a very specific idea related to RCA's role, like in the artist development process. So we talked a lot about that. Cassidy Pope, who's an artist who has been a major label artist. Uh, She won The Voice and like was thrown into the major label world like through that. But now she's a fully independent artist, which is actually how she got started. And so she also talked a lot just to all those different paths to gaining an audience and earning income and having a fan base as an artist and what are the benefits and limitations of all of those. Um, Rosa Ashola was also on the panel. She heads up artist and label marketing for North America at Spotify. And so mm-hmm. we talked with her just about the evolving role that Spotify is playing in the artist marketing world and, and label marketing world. That's definitely a very buzzy topic in the music industry right now. So yeah, it was really uh, it was a really refreshing kind of conversation for me having mostly moderated panels in the past that were very much B2B, like talking to a room mostly of people who had been in the industry for a while and yeah. like diving deep into the weeds of things like uh, like data or, you know, like how companies should be run. Whereas last year as well as this year, I think around 50% of the audience was students. And there are a lot of people who are about to graduate and were like, how should I like put myself out there? How do I break as an artist? And it was very much like, how do I even start? And it was really great to, yeah, like be be part of that conversation. The panel that I'm doing today, this afternoon, or the second one, is very much more of like, like a B2B kind of panel, I think. With some application for artists, but the topic is international rights and licensing for music. So as an artist or as a label who owns a certain catalog, how do you ensure, or publisher as well, how do you ensure that all uses of your music globally are being tracked, let alone paid for? Um, and there's, as of right now, there's no singular dashboard that really allows you to do that effectively. And I think one assumption I do want to bring up during the panel is that, in, like, when an artist thinks of international monetization and like international licensing, I can very easily see them look at platforms like Spotify or Apple Music or YouTube that collectively they're available in over 100 countries around the world. So they're very yeah. international platforms in terms of user bases. Um, I can see an artist you know, uploading their songs to one of those platforms and thinking they're set. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm covered for for all my income. I can just kind of set it and forget it and lean back and let let the money roll in. When, as we're going to talk about in this panel, that is just not true at all because of, you know, the, the super complex nature of music rights, the fact that you have like PROs and sub-publishers which need to connect, uh, sorry, need to collect royalties locally for artists from abroad. And it's just like, yeah, so we're going to be diving into that complex landscape even though there's no real like comprehensive dashboard that allows you to track all that, what comes close? So like, what do distribution platforms provide? Mm. Um, the chief strategy officer of Song Trust 
is on the panel, so he's going to talk about um, what that platform provides for artists on the publishing side as well. So, yeah, it should be really interesting. Very different conversation, though. Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. And it's a very important conversation because mm. artists getting paid is important, but there's a lot of unclaimed royalties and revenue that's sitting there that they don't even know about because mm-hmm. nobody's told them or they, they haven't learned, they haven't done their research. So it's great that you're bringing awareness to this and mm. opening up the discussion so that artists can actually start to get one step closer to perhaps being a full-time artist. And yeah, I, I think it's a really important conversation that needs to be had. And I'm, I'm glad that you're going to be part of that as well, especially <laughs> with your knowledge. Um, as you mentioned, there are some platforms that are getting close to being able to handle all of this for you. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to hearing what you're going to say in that. And of, of course, by the time this podcast is live, we'll know exactly what went down. And um, can we give a plug as well? There should be a way to access these recordings after the Music Biz Conference as well. Are you familiar with where people can find that? Yes. So it might actually only be available to badge holders, but there probably is a URL. Because I don't know if you've seen this, but like on the badge that everyone gets, it's like a QR code that will send people to a link that's run by this startup called Venue, I think is how you pronounce it. It's spelled V-N-U-E. And they specialized in making archives of live concert recordings. Yes. Um, But I think they're also partnering with conferences like Music Biz to create an archive of recordings on there, which is super valuable. Like, I, there definitely been moments where I wish there was something recorded that I like couldn't access after the fact. So, yeah, I'm not too sure about the URL, but I'm sure it's publicly accessible if there's, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I did have a quick look on there yesterday and thank you because the reason I asked as well, not to put you on the spot, mm-hmm. I forgot the name, Venue. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I believe it was, yeah, V-N-U-E. But do a quick search for it. When I had a look online, they were available if you attend the conference to download. But if you didn't attend the conference, you can purchase the actual download for a small mm, fee. Okay. And then of course That's... you can listen to it on your device, which is extremely useful because it's you can listen on your time. On your time. You can be listening on your way or during the commute or anything that is also so smart from the conference perspective as well in terms of like you know yeah how do you not rely solely on just this very limited time you know event to build an audience to spread some of the ideas that came out of the event yeah yeah i'd love to see all conferences doing it because Mm -hmm. i mean i'll attend the conference and i'll gladly also pay for access to the recordings because there's so much that you you try and absorb and you can only handle so much and so then that way you've got access for a small fee yeah bring it on i think it's a great idea Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um that kind of leads me into you know obviously music tech uh is there anything coming out anything that you've been keeping a close eye on that you're very excited about or uh that you'd like to talk about yeah, so I guess the the higher level topic that I'm really interested in, I'm going to borrow a term that uh, actually comes from outside of music. So there's like a accelerator slash membership program and also venture firm called BetaWorks based mm-hmm. in New York. And I actually just got an email yesterday that, that they're hosting an entire symposium and accelerator around what they're calling synthetic media. And they define synthetic media as any synthetically or artificially generated media. So that can be artificially generated text, video, sounds, so artificially generated music, artificially generated, I guess, avatars. And they're funding and incubating a ton of companies that are productizing that experience. And just philosophically, there's so many things that I just don't think we are ready to really grapple with from just like a cultural perspective, a legal perspective, absolutely not in terms of, you know, what happens when, to take a musical example, you have all this AI generated music like out in the landscape, the legal foundation of that in terms of who should own a piece of AI generated music that is now being monetized and earning royalties on Spotify. What happens if like an artist versus a label is like behind that? Those questions have not been answered. And actually to bring in another music biz panel that I went to that I really enjoyed, about this topic specifically, about sort of the legal quandaries around AI-generated music. Mm. So I guess two things from that. One, one of my good friends in the industry is the CEO of this new startup called Boomi that is one of many AI-generated music startups that that has come up um, in the last couple of years. And the term that they're using is called instant music in terms of the user experience. So you can like wow. click a button and the, and the the songs that come out are actually like much more sonically interesting than the ones I'd heard from other startups, I think, in terms of like the variety of sounds that are available. And they're only like a couple months in beta. And I think they've made, if I remember correctly, I thought it was 8,000 and it might've been 
80,000 tracks. And either the, the, way, they're impressive either numbers way. regardless, right? Either way, yeah. that's a ton of music. Yeah. And I, th I think for legal reasons, none of that's available on streaming services yet, but there will be a time when that funnel, like when that gap is closed, right? Like when you can release, I think the founder is very conscious of like, not wanting to do this, but hypothetically, you could flood the market at that point, right? Like yeah. it was just like, you know, one minute, I guess 90 second tracks, they're just automatically generated. And yeah, just like the, the legal, so just one, just grappling with the sheer volume of that, I think will be a really, you know, concrete issue we'll have to deal with in the near future. And then also from that panel, there was someone from the US Copyright Office and she was talking about like drafts that they're now writing in real time, trying to grapple with, you know, the extent to which an AI can like own a copyright to a song, which has been written in some other markets like the UK and Japan, I believe, but not in the US. And she says, uh, she said during the panel that some of the language that they're taking inspiration from and that they might use in the in this new draft was first introduced in the 60s, I believe. Or like mm. it's like people are already asking these questions wow. in like the mid 20th century, which is, this is something that also I'm constantly learning more about given that I've only been writing about music and tech for um, like not even four years, like three, four years so many of the questions have been coming up like again and again and it's been really fascinating to learn about how like history kind of repeats itself in that way or no matter what the technological advancements humanity kind of asks itself the same questions even though like the, the technological and cultural climate is obviously very different at, at different points in time but so that's one field I'm just very interested in like what happens to quote unquote human like there will always be human artists around I'm not like worried about the extinction of like that <laughs> sector no. at all, but just how commercially, legally, culturally will we deal with this? What is very much already an influx of, you know, instantly generated music. Yeah. And just very quickly related to that. I am also really fascinated by this field of virtual influencers that are coming up, mm. um, like Lil Michaela. Uh, for those listening who don't know her, you should look up the Instagram handle, Lil Michaela. She's a CGI influencer, so not tied to any like human personality in real life, but she has over 1.5 million followers on Instagram, has done fashion campaigns with Prada, Vogue, Outdoor Voices, a lot of like both very high-end and more boutique or like everyday brands. She now has her own merch line that is doing quite well, and it's like an Instagram native merch brand, um, which is so fascinating. Like that, So that's not like a music topic, but... I'm equally as interested in those types of things. Like how do you run a retail brand that's Instagram native and that's like tailored to this app, this platform that now has, um, you know, so many users around the world. So yeah, like that, I guess that plus a synthetic media thing that like all ties into this higher level question of how in the future we'll interact with like virtual beings, or just virtual yeah. things that, that that can't necessarily be tied or are much more detached from a human personality or human source making that content. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It's it's crazy to imagine what it's going to be like five, mm -hmm. ten years from now as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to be able to interact with, I don't want to say something, but it's, it's not a person, it's not a human being. And uh, to, mm -hmm. you know, to get to the point where they may be, may be able to develop emotions and have a meaningful conversation with you, it's it's, it's crazy to imagine. It really is. I mean, I, I a lot of people joke about it and say, if you've seen the Terminator movies, it's like Skynet. Are they going to get that smart that they become smarter than us? And then, right, right. Um, but in all honesty, I I'm excited for it. I say bring it on. I mean, you know, like you said, there's always going to be a place for an actual artist to walk in and record their voice, their vocals, their instrument. I don't think that's going to be replaced. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, obviously with AI, with music, there's there's going to be more of that appearing, but I don't think that's necessarily going to get to the point where it's going to take over. I think you still need the human touch and it still needs to be real at some point as well. Totally. And I think I actually have an article that's coming up very soon, maybe already by the time this episode comes out, but I'm, I just finished like the final draft of my first piece for Resident Advisor. Oh, and it's about, cool. uh, yeah, thank you. It's about this group of electronic artists who are trying to take the lead of this conversation and that they're using AI, like AI, creative AI tools in their albums in really interesting ways that are actually like pushing the boundaries of creativity. Whereas I think a lot of people have a fear that um, creative AI 
is going to be the opposite of creative and will only make music more formulaic. Like there's a group of artists that are really using it in like really groundbreaking and more experimental ways. And yeah, I, I wanted to write that piece because I feel like so many of the companies leading the conversation are companies, like they're big tech mm. corporations like Google, Facebook, Sony, Amazon, kind of like, yeah, like they all have massive resources to hire um, all the machine learning PhDs in the world to uh, start working at their companies in part to fund this technology that is not tied and owned by an artist. Whereas like these artists that I wrote about in this piece, like they're just collaborating with a singular developer and it's like much more of a DIY, Mm. like homebrew kind of thing. And as a result, the output maybe isn't as clean, but that's the point. And I think it like makes a much more powerful statement if it's not as clean as like perfectly replicating a genre. Like, I I don't know if that's like, that's not creatively very exciting. That's understandably like very fear, like mongering to to some people. So, yeah. And I mean, AI has been used to analyze songs and predict hits as well, instead of just being used in the creation side. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'd like to see, you know, some more expansion in that in that side of it as well, because I, I think it is a useful tool. I mean, you still need a human to use their own ears and actually listen to decide if the AI was accurate and on point, because For obviously sure. sometimes mm-hmm. there's going to be people that are going to try and game the system and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know exactly what I need to feed in here to to get picked up. I guess... What do the next five years look like for yourself? Where do you see yourself mm. in five years from here? That is a very good. That's a very good question. And I'm I'm like laughing to myself because the last three and a half, four years of writing, or just like life in general very recently, has taught me or has encouraged me actually not to plan out more than a year. Mm. Just because so a year ago. I knew about Patreon, but just never made the connection to use it for my own writing at all, actually. Or, like, I, I was not planning on doing it. I was making, like, a uh, a sustainable income from the traditional freelance writing mm. model of publications, you know, commissioning pieces, such that I, like, had never really thought about that. And now, obviously, like, my mind and how I'm approaching my career has changed so much because I now have this Patreon page that's, like, doing quite well. So, yeah, so it's very hard to, to look within five years' time. But I have... Like very loose ideas of like the lifestyle I'd want to have mm. um, without like a specific job title in mind. So in moderation, I love to travel and I would like to be able to maintain a career that allows me to travel frequently without feeling like restricted by like having to stay, having to spend a certain amount of time in an office. And mm. I love to travel. I love, I guess in terms of like pieces I want, I would want to write more of. I love writing about international, I guess, music markets and and trends happening. And I I want to, I guess, be also more careful about not writing about markets that I have never been to. And so I want to do more traveling so that I can be like fully immersed in these international cultures and fandoms that are happening and actually meet people and like build relationships with people on the ground and then write more about those markets. yeah, so, like, I guess, yeah, independent of whether I end up writing, just, like, having that kind of experience of, like, being on the ground in all these places. Like, I've not been to India yet. I'm hoping mm-hmm. to go later this year. I'm, like, making plans to do that. I have been to China a lot, but, like, never in industry context, actually, so I yep. want to do more of that. Southeast Asia, um, Africa would be, like, really fascinating as well. So, yeah, it's just, like, traveling a lot. I really like the... And maybe this is, like, the the academic... In, in the back of my head still talking, but I like really like the concept of a career run on ideas. And like, this is maybe what like, like a independent artist career essentially is as well. Yeah. It's like a career run on creative ideas that are just manifested in sound. And I really like the, the process. So for me, like what, what's, what makes a successful article for me, like, of course there are metrics of like how many people clicked it, how many people finished or forwarded, et cetera. But just like anecdotally, an idea of success for me is having a piece that's like built off largely on my own ideas that like opens up people's minds, like opens up people's own ideas about what's possible in music and like inspires them to do something. Whether they're like an artist who never thought about a certain way to like make music or market music or like someone within like even just like a major label who never thought about this kind of like partnership or this mm. kind of opportunity in music and like inspiring people in that way 
through ideas. Like that, just that concept is like really cool to me. And, and that, that, that's what keeps me in the freelance writing world. And yeah, so I definitely would want to continue doing that in, in some capacity. And then finally, I, I guess I really enjoy being able to explore any area of music that I want essentially as a writer and like mm-hmm. having that 30,000 foot view is like how I, how I always look at it now. And there are definitely other roles aside from writing that allow for that. Like I've definitely looked into or considered more strategy oriented roles at, um, at music companies or entertainment companies, or actually for my own inspiration, I read a ton of blog posts from VCs and investors because mm-hmm. their job is to be future gazing always. And like their, their job is to predict correctly what's going to happen in five years or 10 years. Um, and so I'm very much trying to tap into their mindset as I'm writing as well. So yeah, it's a, it's like a very not concrete answer, but I, I have uh, a much better idea now of like the, the type of mind space I want to be in, the type of ideas I want to engage in, types of like people I want to meet in terms of like getting to travel. So yeah, whatever job ends up coming in the future, I, w- I would love to preserve all those things. Yeah. Definitely. And I feel like whatever does come next, you're going to be prepared for it in one way or another mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because you are always very forward thinking and you're always looking at what's next as well as of course understanding more about what's happening now that maybe there hasn't been enough light that's been shined mm-hmm. on on mm-hmm. it as well mm-hmm. so you know I, I noticed obviously you mentioned AI and that and we, we know that that's going to get bigger and bigger but mm-hmm. it's really exciting to hear that you're traveling as well I mean um, I must say I do envy you as well. I mean, I don't envy the amount of work that I see you do sometimes, but <laughs> it, you, it you love a lot it of work, and, yeah. <laughs> and that shows, of course. But, you know, it's funny. I, I said uh, it kind of reminds me of Carmen Sandiego, and, uh, oh but, but instead it's following Sherry Who. It's, I, I'm laughing because there's like one CD-ROM game, a Carmen Sandiego game that I just played all the time for like an entire year. I must have been like eight years old. It was, yep. it was a while ago, but I am very much appreciate that analogy. Yes, yeah. and it's funny because it's so true. I mean, there's been times where I go, "Hey, I'm coming to New York." You go, "Oh, that's cool. I'm going to be in London." I'm like, "Well, oh, that's cool." I'm, you know, I'm, I'm. I hear you're going to be in Australia in June. I'm going to be there in July. You know, and we just keep chasing <laughs> each other around. I mean, sometimes we connect like this, and that's fantastic. Yeah. But I, I always enjoy watching that, and I kind of have to laugh to myself because I go, "Man, Sherry does not need a does not need a home right now. She's got a suitcase and a laptop, and she's good. She's mm-hmm. out." And um. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that I see you have this nice balance as well. Like, yes, you're putting in the work, you're putting in the time, but you're actually getting out, you're, you're enjoying the food, you're enjoying the music, you're enjoying the culture. Oh my gosh, yes. You know, you know you're actually experiencing this and you get to put your little, I, I, don't, want to, I don't know why I said little, you get to put your tourist hat on. <laughs> I, I guess. Yes. Yes. Un, unabashedly tourist hat. Yes. Yes, yes. yes. And, and that's, that's so important because... I, I really enjoy seeing that as well and not just because we're friends I know other people love to see that they go you're a real person you've got an amazing brain um, you're an amazing writer but you also like to have fun and you know have a chat and get some food and just go out and see some cool stuff and live life and mm-hmm, I mean mm-hmm. the reason I say I envy you is um, you know with your age as well I mean a lot of people probably don't know from your writing and uh, but mm. you are quite young in this industry you know, it's really exciting to see because you really are part of the future and you're going to be around for a very long time and you're going to be doing this. Mm. And, you know, to, it must be pretty amazing to see people twice, sometimes three or four times your age coming up to you and actually going to your writing and mm. uh, coming to talk to you about it and, uh, you know, tell you how much it really resonated with them and giving you a compliment. I mean, how does it feel to be... A, a little bit of a rock star sometimes. Oh I know, my gosh. <laughs> I know I'm making you blush now. That's why I saved this till the end. But I mean, you know, Thank I mean, you, you are recognized, it. you know, just, mm-hmm. just like an artist, just like a TV personality, just, just like anyone out there, people are starting to recognize you from your writing. And I mean, you put your face in, in mm. water and music and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. people seek you out. They see you in a crowd. I've, I've seen people come up, want to get a selfie and stuff like that. I mean, it's <laughs> awesome to see. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to be able to know you and to call you a friend as well. Thank you. And to see your journey. I feel like I'm part of it. I mean, obviously I'm not in any way. I'm not taking any credit. But, um, you know, I just wanted to say that and say how much I appreciate what you're doing. And, you know, I've, I've enjoyed watching this journey. Thank you. Wow. No, yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And yeah, I um lots of lots of thoughts. So I guess mm-hmm. one, 
Yeah, you're saying like the word rock star, and I was like, <laughs> kind of like reacting to that because I'm just like I'm I'm still learning still all the time, right? I've only mm. been like writing about this space for like for a couple of years, and yet I guess like maybe the approach and how I'm like synthesizing all these ideas is like really valuable valuable to people, which is which is amazing. Um, but yeah, but I'm also still there's like still so many open questions for me and. This like most recently hit me when I was doing this panel on Monday at Music Biz, the the, the next gen now panel, because like I was asking questions that I was interested in, because they were they had been all the panels had been in the industry for longer than I had, and like I wanted to know you know like what advice would you have for someone who's like still in her early twenties who's like trying to figure out you know like what's what's next. So yeah, I I still very much just consider myself. Yes, just another person who's like learning and just happens to be sharing that knowledge and is very enthusiastic about sharing that. And yeah, I also am really glad that, that you brought up the notion of like, you know, just being a tourist and not being afraid to do that, right? Yeah. And not being afraid to experience, you know, local cultures and, or I guess wherever, you know, you're traveling. I, I'm definitely a foodie. I would say like all my favorite Netflix shows are like the food shows, like Chef's Table, Parts Unknown, Anthony Bourdain. I like watch that like very, I, I've like, finished all the almost all the episodes in those shows and yeah that's also like what I love about traveling equally if not even more than just like meeting people at these events is yeah just like getting to know a place through their food and their music as well and also not being afraid to like be how do you say it so okay this is like one thing that that may or may not be related to to all this but one thing that's also really interesting going all the way back to how I was raised about like about classical music mm-hmm. culture is that this is actually what a lot of people don't like about classical music, which I understand. But when you go to a concert, like a like a symphony orchestra concert, no one's talking during the show, right? You're, you're like staying, like stuck in your seat, kind of either paying attention or like I've definitely been in, in concerts where you hear people snoring like in the corner <laughs> while the orchestra's performing, right? But it's like, it can feel very stale and very stuck. But I was very much, I guess, raised in that, attitude of just being completely engrossed and paying 100% full attention to what like a performance is happening and this is like sometimes come up as like a contrast to like unfortunately at a lot of these like music industry events there'll be artists performing um, and like no one's really paying attention Mm. or like everyone's networking everyone's like chattering over and I'm very much still like of the culture of just wanting to be in a show and like pay 100% full attention um, like not even like talk to anybody, just like fully engross myself in their performance and like having also like relatively fewer times but having been on that stage, like I definitely like empathize a lot with like, you know, what they're doing when they're performing. And I very much, that's like one of the best, I guess, values of, or like, yeah, one of the best add-ons of just being able to go to all these conferences and festivals and speak is like experiencing all of, all of that, that music and, and that performance as well. So yeah, I that's kind of like going off on a, on a tangent, but yeah, I guess in short, I'm like super grateful to be able to continue writing and to reach so many people. Mm. And I definitely want to continue, I guess, yeah, like showing that, yeah, that you could just be like a normal human being for sure. And that you can, I'm also the type of person who for better or for worse in this industry, like needs at least seven hours of sleep a night. Yes. Like if I don't, if I don't get seven plus hours of sleep, I just can't function. I won't be able to write good articles, you know, let alone just like, you know, feel healthy and, and alive just like during the day. So yeah, balance is super important. Um, getting to know people as people, like the music business is like a very much like a people business. So like definitely like respecting that. Yeah, all of that's super important to me. The sleep is so important mm-hmm. for anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, what you're doing, you know, sleep equals productivity. I find that the less sleep I have, the less productive I am. Whereas if I just get those extra two hours of sleep, I'd knock so much more work out in a day. Mm-hmm. It's it's mind-blowing. And I, I see these people forcing themselves at the keyboard, drinking that fourth cup of coffee for the day, sometimes even more. And they're, they're just trying to force creativity and force mm-hmm. themselves mm-hmm. to get the work done when mm-hmm. really they need to just even go and have a quick nap, go outside, go for a walk, mm-hmm. reset, you come back you get it done so much quicker. Yeah. And so I'm glad to hear that you do that. And uh, <laughs> you know, and you got into the good habits in the early stages of this as well. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I say early stages, you've been doing this nearly four years, but, you know, there's some people that still, still push themselves so hard and 
you've got to take time to rest. You've got to take time to enjoy it. And so it's so good to see that you are doing exactly that. And like you mentioned, you're a real person. We're real people. Everyone here is a person. Your favorite artist, you wait for their next song to come out, but they're busy being a person as well. They're doing other stuff. They got a family or they got kids or they they, they want to go on a holiday where they're not performing and Mm -hmm. just go and enjoy that. So, um, just keep that in mind when you meet people. I mean, we're all just regular people doing cool stuff. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like when I first started writing and just like learning on on the job, quote unquote, about how journalism worked, that's like one thing that stood out to me and about the journalism industry. And in some cases, this is appropriate like for like investigative reporting, but a lot of writers like intentionally keep themselves separate from like their readers mm. or like they d- intentionally keep a lot of things behind. Yeah. I guess like close, close to them and don't really want to reveal that much. And yeah, like if, if you're working with sensitive information, obviously, you know, you, um, you want to maintain that, that practice, but yeah. And like the, the position that I'm in, I don't really see a reason to do that. Like I'm always like, maybe I'm on like Twitter too much, but I'm <laughs> always like, I always love just like, you know, asking, Hey, what do you think about this? Like, um, like, what are you all up to? Like, what do you, yeah, thinking about this new trend, this piece of news, and like, yeah, I think that there's always room to have more open conversation about um, about those kinds of things in music. So, yeah, definitely happy to contribute to that anytime. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, I feel like I should give you an opportunity to take a break and you know have a have a little bit of a rest before this panel later today because I know how quick things move during mm. these conferences and that's why I'm extremely grateful as well for your time here today. Uh, before we wrap this up, is there any advice that you would like to pass down to the listeners? Now, I know that we've, you know, we've already shared many pieces of advice in this episode, but it could be you could speak directly to a new artist that's looking to get their start, or it could just be general life advice uh, or even a cool hack that you've recently heard mm. about. Not to put you on the spot, but if there's <laughs> anything you would like to share. Oh, man. Uh, a piece of advice for... Could be in a, to an aspiring writer as well. Yes, I have. Yeah, I've, I guess like speaking from direct experience, I have a lot of ideas for writers. Or this, this this could apply to art. Like there are a lot of artists across genres who like also do write a lot and like mm. have built a following off of sharing their opinion. So let's see. There there are a lot of like aspiring journalists or critics who have like emailed me or come up to me and they're like, I want to be a cultural critic. Like, what is the, like, what advice would you have for me? And, like, my piece of advice would always be, like, so think about that phrase, cultural critic. Mm. If you're just starting out, I think that's too broad. Like, I I think you really need to, like, hone in on one specific niche that you will own better than anyone else. Um, And such that you become the go-to person to talk about that niche. So uh, another example of another writer, Jida Dial, I think that's her name. Um, She... So she wrote a 33 and a third like album book about Brian Eno and she's mm-hmm. an expert on Brian Eno on experimental ambient electronic music and that is like one of the most niche areas of music just let alone like of the world mm-hmm. right like the audience is is big but it's not as big as like you know mainstream pop but she's built an entire career off of being a critic of that space because she's proven that she has so much expertise in that space such that like publications see her as the go-to person to write about that topic. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, like for anyone looking to either build a career as a writer or like thought leadership is a super buzzy term now, like how do you even approach that? It's not just about general thought leadership. It's like being leadership, uh, being a leader in an area that you can own better than anyone else. And it, th- there's nothing too specific, I think, now that... Um, I, f- I feel like like the, the podcasting world is a perfect example. There have been a yep. lot of podcasts that have like had the most random topics. Like there's one I know of that's like kind of gaining a following now that's about, <laughs> it's just like, I don't know if, what you'll think about this idea. It's about how like people in the blockchain industry approach relationships. Oh, like wow. this is so, that's just so specific. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, who's gonna, like who's gonna really listen to that? But then, it's like kind of gaining a following and it like, but so I feel like that's the perfect idea because there are a ton of people who are interested in blockchain, right? It's like definitely not a small industry. Um, And there, and these people are people 
And yes. then they're trying to figure out, like, you know, how to navigate. This is, this can be expanded to all of tech and all of, you know, entrepreneurship. How do you, like, maintain a balanced life and maintain relationships with people in this world that's just moving so quickly? And through that such such a niche, like, intersection, you can approach that topic that actually has, you know, wide appeal. So, yeah, I think just don't be afraid to be too specific in that and cultivate that kind of expertise early on and position yourself as, like, the go-to person for, you know, that kind of topic and yeah I'm just thinking of like an example for artists I think yeah I've seen a lot of I've seen this activity a lot more in the world of hip-hop and specifically for like hip-hop production mm-hmm. so I don't know if you're familiar with the music entrepreneur club yep. or so Kato Kato on the track the producer um, I follow him on Instagram he's such a good Instagram account he publishes consistently consistency is also super key I guess in this world, for better or for worse, um, in terms of like you know publishing on a consistent basis, but he has become he's become such like a outspoken voice just on the business of being an independent hip hop producer, mm. which is again like pretty niche, but like that market is very quickly growing because the the barriers to entry for music production just keep getting lower and lower, and he's really carved out. Um, he in addition to like producing for a lot of Grammy nominated Grammy winning artists. He's become a leader in that area of expertise that draws people in for reasons that are complementary to his music. It's like not, not not competitive at all. So yeah, I think that would be a general piece of advice for people who want to like rally people around certain ideas or want to become leaders in a certain space. Just like find yeah, find like a niche that like really that you care a lot about and that um, that you can own better than anyone else. Definitely, and you know. Consistency is key, as you mentioned there as well. You know, you don't just put one piece of content out and hope for the best. You just keep going. And then eventually that audience will grow and they can discover your previous content as well, whether it's articles, whether it's social media posts, all of it combined. You show people that you're doing this, you're active, you're living this, you're breathing this. Eventually they're going to start catching on. And obviously that's worked out very well for you by by sticking to what you know and what you love Mm -hmm. and what you enjoy writing about. Mm -hmm. This leads us to where can people follow you? Now, I know, obviously, this is a great chance to plug the podcast, the newsletter, uh, your website, and anywhere else that people can follow you. Yeah, thank you for asking. So I guess I'm on Twitter a lot. You can follow me at my handle, SherryHu42. The number is 42. I would say I'm most most active on there social media-wise. That's also my Instagram handle if if you want to follow me there. My newsletter is called Water and Music. And you can access that through, so you can Google search that, like Water Music Newsletter, and it should come up in the first like three results. Um, but if not, you can also visit my website at sherryhu.com. There'll be a, a direct link to that. And there you can also see a portfolio, a select portfolio of all the writing that I've done across publications um, because I've written for a lot of publications and uh, that's the best way, I think, to get a, like a more centralized idea of all the topics that I've covered. I've organized the portfolio by topic. So like there's a section on streaming, there's a section on live, a section on like music and gaming and like other topics like that. And uh, yeah, as for the podcast, if you also search up the Water and Music podcast, it should also come up uh, and it's available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, like all the standard platforms. Um, it was a great episode with Mike that hey. I very much recommend you you listen to. Thank you. Yes, Thank you. you're very welcome. And yeah, I guess last but not least... If you are interested in checking out my Patreon page and contributing financially, my website for that is patreon.com slash sherryhu. And there are multiple tiers uh, ranging from just $1 a month to $40 with various benefits in between. So, yeah. Yep. And definitely worth checking out as well because there's content and there's there's opportunities on there that you make available to reward your Patrons on Patreon as well. Yes. Um, and I would say most of the benefits, just for those who are interested, are related to involvement in my writing process and my research process, even more than exclusive content. So I do post exclusive essays on there from time to time. But like if you contribute three or more dollars a month, you can vote on future newsletter topics or yes. like what you're most interested in. You can give feedback on if there's anything that I'm missing. Um, there's also a Discord channel that's connected to $7 a month and above, um, which has already been like pretty active in terms of people like asking questions or you know sending news articles that are interesting. And then the $40 a month tier, 
gives you access to monthly video hangouts. And th- there have been two of them already so far. Pretty good size of people, like never any more than you know 10 people. And they're completely optional, but we definitely like dive into a lot of recent music industry news and trends during those. And yeah, th- those have been super enjoyable as well. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think it's time we wrap this up because I know you do have to head back to Music Biz right now. Just quickly, do want to say thank you to Jason Joven from Chartmetric. I know he didn't jump on the microphone here today, but I do just want to say we appreciate you being here as well. He's actually taken a bunch of... Ah, tongue-tied at the end here. He's taken a (laughs) bunch of photos and videos uh, for the social media because, as mentioned, we're in this amazing studio. He's doing double duty with two phones at once. At one point, it was... I don't know if you can do double parked with a phone in each hand, but uh, the best part is... We got them both going, man. There you go, Apple and Android, so we can can take votes on which picture, which video turns out best. He's done landscape, he's done uh, horizontal versus vertical, so we are going to be blowing up your feeds with content from this. Oh my gosh. Uh, as well Brent Barkas for inviting me along getting in touch with me his Mm -hmm. amazing studio here i65 definitely look it up you're going to see some pictures online I can't say enough about how amazing this space is and most importantly Sherry thank you I know I've already told you how much I appreciate you how much I've enjoyed your journey Uh, I'm not trying to make you blush again but I'm truly grateful to be able to call you a friend and to be able to watch and see what happens next I appreciate your time here today especially in between panels Uh, very kind of you Um, thank you for introducing me to your audience I've never been followed from so many music tech writers before on Twitter really? uh, I know I'm so glad to hear that (laughs) yeah that's like exactly what what I wanted so yeah yeah that's awesome so I've been really careful about what I'm sharing on there now as well (laughs) just just because of some of the people that are following but very grateful oh I see yeah (laughs) Um, but yeah Look, once again, thank you so much and I look forward to seeing what's next. And as mentioned, you plugged all the socials before, but everyone out there, go to sherryhoo.com as well and definitely on Twitter at sherryhoo42 and get in touch. Yeah, then thank you again for having me. Yeah, this was a ton of fun. Thank you.